Welcome to Dispatch Live, everybody. I'm Steve Hayes, Tuesday night, a little after eight o'clock. Thanks for joining us. Is there anything going on? Anything to talk about these days? More uh, NASA. Uh, NASA's launching something tomorrow morning. We could talk about that for a while. Good, good. Uh, I'm here with Declan Garvey and, and Andrew Egger. I think I can speak for all of us when I say that uh, we're exhausted. This has been an eventful week you always i i do this to myself every time you lead up to the midterms and you you think that once you get past the midterms you can let down and that's particularly true this year because we had planned this big naples event the hotel shut down one of the two sites for it we couldn't hold the event and so i thought you know we're home free work really hard through the midterms and then we're good and i mean i don't know about you guys but i've probably spent more time working since the midterms on a daily basis then and then so if we're incoherent we don't make any sense that's why i'm just giving you a warning in advance um let's start with uh the news fresh out of capitol hill the set set the stage a little bit donald trump is going to speak we think in roughly an hour we anticipate that he's going to announce that he's running for president in 2024 um there has been a lot of back and forth a lot of reporting about uh whether trump is actually going to run. Um, I think most people believe that he will. Most people in Trump world believe that he will. There's been a lot of back and forth about Trump, whether Trump will actually announce. And the word is that uh, there's been a lot of uh, dissent inside of Trump world about the wisdom of announcing this early, particularly because it's before the early December runoff in Georgia, featuring Herschel Walker and Senator Raphael Warnock. And Trump injects himself into the story, takes away from what Republicans would like to have as a sort of single-minded goal of keeping that seat. Um, Donald Trump surprisingly not deferential to the wishes of other Republicans, and looks like he's going to go ahead and make this announcement tonight at Mar in Mar-a-Lago in roughly an hour. The um, on Capitol Hill we had a lot of activity today a lot of behind the scenes activity some of the activity in in public uh both chambers uh of congress on the republican side featuring yeah wouldn't know that we call them leadership battles but um faints at at leadership challenges maybe maybe real leadership challenges um, but there's a lot of frustration on the Republican side after the midterm elections a week ago today. Um, and then finally, the all of the fallout that we've seen over the past week among Republicans um, has, in my view, launched the civil war that's been effectively seven years coming um for for as long as donald trump was president we've talked about it uh on dispatch lives we've talked about it on the dispatch podcast we've written about this probably in all of the 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 things we've published or close to all of them um even as he was president even as many republicans expressed loyalty for donald trump um did his bidding uh i think rationalized justified some some of what he did um there was a substantial chunk of the Republican Party, I would say for a long time, a majority that was not on board. And they mostly said things in private to people like us. And then in public, they would say the opposite. 
We have seen over the past week in the aftermath of a very underwhelming Republican performance in these midterms, more of the people in the Republican Party saying things in public that they have long been saying in private, which I think is an interesting turn. Okay, having said all that, having <laughs> set that all up, Declan, you worked uh, on today's morning dispatch, uh, focusing on the House, potential challenge to Kevin McCarthy. Um, and then today you spent working ahead on, on the McConnell stuff. Why don't you start on the House side, tell us where <coughs> we are, set it up and tell us what happened today. Yeah, so obviously Republicans did not have uh, the night that they wanted to a week ago today. Um, and it's actually funny, I was listening back to uh, last week's Dispatch Live as a as a podcast after the fact, and it, you just kind of, knowing what how it turned out now, uh, the as you go through the hour, it gets increasingly, uh, the, the takes just kind of get flipped on their head. Um, that happened for Republicans too. They did not have the night that they wanted, that the night that they expected. Um, and that means that there's a lot of blame to go around. People are looking to point fingers somewhere. Um, and, you know, Steve, as you alluded to, a lot of that finger pointing has started to uh, head down towards Mar-a-Lago. Um, you know, people are a little bit more comfortable speaking out against Trump and, and kind of his malign influence on the the races and, and you know, his handpicked candidates. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, frustration within the congressional, uh, conferences themselves, both on the house side and on the Senate side. And, you know, there, there are procedural gripes that date back decades or, you know, more than a decade, um, about how the house is run, how the Senate is run, you know, the amendment process and how bills are rolled out. That's being kind of coupled with and amplified by, fights over the direction of the party generally ideologically um and and kind of and 2024 because that's getting thrust into the spotlight <laughs> a week after the midterms right. thanks to to trump's probable announcement tonight um and so because of all that there's just this stewing frustration some people are not willing to blame trump for it even if they privately think so um that blame goes somewhere it's going towards Kevin McCarthy, it's going towards Mitch McConnell. Um, you know, these are on McConnell's side. He's been the leader of the Senate Republicans since 2007. Uh, Kevin McCarthy has wanted to be the leader of the House Republicans probably since long before 2007. Um, made a bid for it in 2015, fell short. And on the House side, so basically what we saw was they're holding uh, the House held elections earlier today to decide who they were going to put forth as their nominee for speaker in January when the new house convenes. Kevin McCarthy won that uh won that race. I think it was a, about 180 to 2 to 31, something like that. Very 88 to 31, I think. Yeah, 188 to 31. Far and away um but you know he he only needed the majority there to move forward to January, but come January he needs a majority of the entire house. So that's at least 218 votes if everybody is voting. Um, and so and that 31 went to Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona, who was the past head of the House Freedom Caucus, one time um, sort of a strong, small government ideological part of the House Republican Conference, increasingly just a super Trumpy 
<clears throat> rump of the of the House Republican conference. Right. And and he he knew going in. I mean, I did not ask him personally. I, I assume he knew going in he was not going to win. This is Biggs. Um, but there were people who are frustrated with McCarthy for a variety of reasons. Um, and they wanted somewhere to kind of park their protest votes. And so Biggs put himself forward as kind of tribute where, you know, just you can you can let people know that we're not entirely behind McCarthy, make McCarthy kind of grovel and and earn it. So, you know, there's going to be negotiations for the next six or seven weeks. McCarthy's going to have to give out a lot of, uh, you know, special benefits, promises. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been one of the his <laughs> biggest um uh, supporters in, in this, this is, um, McCarthy. She, I, there's reporting that he promised her a seat on the oversight committee when Republicans are, are in the majority again. Um, so that's kind of what's happening on the house side. There's a lot of infighting. There's fights about, you know, procedural, uh, how many hours are we going to have to review legislation before we vote on it? And, um, how many people do we need to trigger an amendment vote? That kind of thing. Plus, people who are frustrated with McCarthy for not already coming out and endorsing Donald Trump's 2024 bid, that kind of stuff. So now moving to the Senate side, um, kind of similar, but also different. There's been a long brewing feud between Mitch McConnell um, and his allies and then Senator Rick Scott the from Florida uh, and his allies. And Scott was the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee this year, basically his job was to help elect Republicans get the Republican majority. And he and McConnell did not see eye, eye to eye um, at all on how to do that. McConnell was frequently critical of candidates that, um, you know, Republican voters and and the NRSC backed. He said, you know, we're probably not going to win back the majority if, if these are our candidates. Um, and then, you know, debates over who was responsible for funding which races and, and how the money gets allocated. McConnell and his allies kind of command, uh, you know, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars um, in, in ad spending, as does the NRSC. But there were kind of disputes over who was responsible for, for funding what. And so it wasn't clear until today whether Rick Scott was actually going to launch a, a bid against McConnell. He'd long hinted at it. He'd alluded to it. Um, the Republicans met in, uh, they have a weekly lunch on Tuesdays. They met at the Capitol today and that lunch turned into a early dinner. It lasted like three and a half hours, um, talking to people who were inside the room. There was a, it was very tense. There was a lot of back and forth between McConnell and Scott in particular, but also allies of both of them kind of sniping at each other and, and, you know, finger pointing and, and, um, and Rick Scott comes out of that meeting and, it soon breaks that uh, he is going to launch a challenge to McConnell for the leadership. Um, and that vote will be held tomorrow. He's not expected to win, same as kind of Biggs. It's more of a protest um, vote. There's, from my reporting, it sounds like there's going to be high single digits, maybe 10 uh, Republicans of the 48 that are currently elected that will, will side with Scott on this. Um, but it is the first time that McConnell's ever faced a challenger uh, for his leadership post since he was elected uh, in 2007. So that's where we are. Uh, Andrew, you were up there. You have a lot more color on that than I do. Uh, what was uh, what was the day like from from your perspective? Yeah, well, so we didn't know, like you mentioned, uh, until during the meeting that uh, that Scott was going to un unveil this uh, this challenge. It, it looked going in like they were going to have 
not that fight, but basically a different proxy fight uh, for for sort of the the festivus of grievances that Scott and his allies have over McConnell's leadership. And it was just going to be about whether they were going to hold the vote tomorrow at all. A lot of these uh, senators, uh, Josh Hawley, Lindsey Graham, uh, Marco Rubio, uh, I think close to 10 senators and senators elect had all basically said we should not be having leadership elections until we have the whole conference and that means waiting until after the georgia uh runoff to know whether scott uh, whether herschel walker is going to be in there as well um that is still an operative fight they are gonna when they show up tomorrow to vote on leadership uh the first thing that's going to happen is ted cruz is going to uh, move to delay, uh, and they're going to vote on that. McConnell actually sounded a little bit, um, he, he was very explicit. I have the votes. I'm going to be reelected. Uh, he was less, um, bullish that they necessarily will not push the thing. I can't imagine that you, you, you imagine it's going to become a proxy thing. You imagine the same people who support Scott for, uh, uh, for Republican leader will be the same ones who uh, side with his argument about why you want to wait around for Herschel um, because you want more time for more chaos and to, to right. foment it's, it's not like Herschel Walker's one vote is going to sway this thing one way or the other. Right, uh, right, right. But, but it's, it's just, just kind of it's a... just it's just worth noting, like it's going to be it'll be interesting to see that'll happen first and we'll kind of know from there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I was up at the up at the Senate side today and it was it's always weird. I mean, all these things are so are are unbelievably hurry up and wait. Right. And that, like you say, these, these lunches usually go like an hour, uh, and reporters are not in there. Reporters are in the hallway outside between the lunchroom and uh, the Senate floor where they're going to go next for votes or the bank of elevators where they're going to go back to their offices, uh, just waiting for people to kind of, you know, mosey on out. Uh, and the, the order of operations was very funny because first, uh, you know, everybody's just looking at their watches like, uh, okay, this is an extra long one. And now it's a really extra long one. And now it's, oh my gosh, when are they going to come out? And uh, I think it had been probably two hours they were in there when the first senator came out, which is Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Uh, and he, uh, he, he didn't say very much. He kind of came by, like somebody, somebody asked him, you know, what's the mood in there? He, 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 uh, very, very cordial is what is what he said. Um, and then uh, shortly after you get Chuck Grassley coming out and he is not making eye contact with anybody and he's not <laughs> saying a word. And he literally there's so many reporters in this hallway. He literally holds his arm like straight out to like ward everybody off as he is like making a beeline for the Senate floor. And so that was kind of and it's just so every every. Um, you know, kind of vibe. Uh, shortly after that, um, people near the front, uh, right by the door, can hear Ted Cruz because he's he's speaking so loudly to the people inside uh, that that he's audible through the through the door. Um, and you know, things things start to leak out a little bit. It's it's just very very clear. Uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, Senate Leadership Fund and uh, Rick Scott's National Republican Senatorial Committee guy start feuding on Twitter while they're in the room there. Um, so it's just it was just this very weird, surreal sort of thing where everybody could tell in the room that things were going south uh, and that there was a lot of discord happening, but. You can get your quotes yet because they're all still in there arguing with each other, not yet coming out to us uh, to explain what the uh, end result of all the argument was. Um, and then, you know, they come out and you mob them. And, and uh, how did you first, Andrew, how did you first come to understand that there was some serious uh, arguing taking place inside the room? 
was there a senator who eventually came out and said, okay, this is what's this is what's been happening? It's sort of leveled with you? I think I think the first thing was the the just being told by people around that, oh, okay, that's that's Ted Cruz uh, you know, speaking with diction up there. But it actually wasn't, it wasn't after the meeting, it was it was during the meeting that it was leaked that uh, Scott was going to challenge. So like in theory, that could have still been very, you know kumbaya and hunky dory but like he 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 comes out like the, the stories are published they're all still in the room uh he's you know his his uh um his letter his open letter to all his colleagues is leaked to politico and fox news has seen it and everything so it's like this very weird thing where like some of the news is trickling out and like into the digital infrastructure uh even as we are all like not able yet to get our hooks into it like in person even because that part's coming a little bit later um but yeah, and I mean, that every Republican who came out, it was just kind of like they either gave some kind of like, ah, you know, what are you going to do? You know, there's obviously we got stuff that we're talking about and like uh, trying to put a happy face on it. And 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 even I mean, even the the kind of Scott challengers uh, and or Scott and his allies when they came out, like like Josh Hawley framed it as basically an ideological difference. Mike Brown framed it as basically just a disagreement over leadership style. It's because it's kind of a weird Mike thing because there are I mean, Mike Lee and Braun. Uh, sorry, sorry, oh, Braun of uh got it. Uh, what's is he from? Nebraska? I can't remember. Indiana. Indiana. Yeah, gosh. Um long day. Uh it's uh yeah, him because he he was not initially supporting uh Scott, but now is came it came out of the meeting afterward and said that he would. Um, he framed it more as, you know, it's it's not about the leader. It's about the the leadership style and, and you know, opening things up more on the floor. So it's this weird dynamic where there are obviously like real policy disagreements where like people who support McConnell and people who support Scott could be very cordial with one another despite these differences. But it's so personal between the two of them. Right. Um, Scott, Scott and McConnell. I mean, they have they've really butted heads uh, over over a number of things. And Scott's very ambitious and and. So it's, it's, it's very weird in, in, in a lot of these ways. Scott himself was, you know, seemed kind of on edge when he came out of when he came out of the room. Didn't stop Scott, him, so Scott almost always seems a, a little bit on edge or a little bit off. <laughs> yeah. He's not a he's an odd guy to interact with. Um, he, he's not personable or warm. Uh, probably has never been described as warm in his entire life. Um, my tell, tell me if you agree with uh with my sense i did a bunch of reporting on this over the weekend um and talked to some senators who said this is really not they you know we didn't know at the time if if scott was gonna actually mount a mount a bid they were skeptical that he would they were skeptical that they would go anywhere if he did and and their view is this is not really it's not like there are rick scott devotees in the senate it's more that there's a group of people who are for either either legitimately frustrated with something about the way that Mitch McConnell has run the Senate. They want him to be more conservative. They want to change the procedural things. Or um, in the case of a couple of them, maybe more, um, they're running for president or potentially running for president. Um, or they want to lodge a protest so that they can be anti-establishment and get more Fox hits, uh, send send uh, fundraising appeals to low dollar, dollar Republican donors, raise a bunch of money because they stood hard against Mitch McConnell and the establishment. 
what's what's your sense is that is that accurate was that accurate coming out of today um i, I mean yeah i think it's i think it's completely accurate and you could you could even get a sense of that from uh the letter that scott himself sent out there was a, a funny paragraph that we talked a little bit about uh in in slack today um where he it's it's it is just an airing of grievances like completely unrelated things one after another like anything you could possibly dislike about the way Mitch McConnell's run the show uh, for you know going on two decades now, a decade and a half, and and then basically just say, and I yeah, I'm sure some of you are are fine. You, you, you've had no problems <laughs> yeah. all along. I'm your guy for any of those other things though. And I mean, it's it's it, and and the, I mean the other wrinkle of it is that that it wasn't always even clear this was the job the 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 job that he had his ambitions for. Like I mean, Rick Scott wants to be president as well. So it's not like it's not like he he has always had his eye on like running procedure in the Senate as like his 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 uh you know big career goal. Uh and 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 that has played itself out in a lot of different ways. I mean, a lot of the moves that that Scott took uh as NRSC chair were widely seen as essentially personal brand boosting moves for all the people out there in TV land, not for not so much for uh, the benefit of like the the candidates that he was um, that he was. And I suspect we're going to learn a lot of more, a lot, a lot more details about that. Um, I think the 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 leaking uh, between the two camps has just begun. No. Um, this really did start months and months ago when when Scott said that he wanted to have Republicans run on an agenda. And Mitch McConnell was clear and in public said, no, we are not going to run on an agenda. Three quarters of the country think that the country's on the wrong track. Two thirds of the people disapprove of Joe Biden. Democrats are unpopular. It's a midterm election. Historically, we should do very well if we just show up and don't field really bad candidates. And um, I think there were a lot of really bad candidates. I think Mitch McConnell had a point, but they had this argument and it was the case. Um, I talked to somebody over the weekend who told me that one of the closing ads in this, the Senate race in Washington where Patty Murray was running for reelection against Tiffany Smiley, who was a, a, a charismatic, a pretty good candidate, I think, um, challenging her. It was not a race that was expected initially to be competitive and it was one that we mentioned i think here last week that if it was competitive we were talking about that race that would have been republicans had a really good night smiley ended up losing by by double digits wasn't terribly competitive but um i was told by somebody following that race closely that one of the the closing argument ads from patty murray's campaign was an ad in which she tried to tie tiffany smiley to rick scott's plan to <laughs> raise taxes and to broaden the base of the of the tax and to to make changes to medicare and social security so uh mitch mcconnell warnings i think um uh he had reason to worry uh at least in that instance and i think there were several others let me ask a big picture question to both of you there is this so there's these leadership challenges there's um you know sort of unease among republicans in both the house and the senate but it's coming from two totally different places, um, or at least the people being challenged represent very different parts of the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy made, McCarthy made a decision early, almost immediately after January 6th, that despite what he said 
Donald Trump had done on January 6th, that he was going to tie himself to Trump. He went to Mar-a-Lago. He took a photo with those goofy thumbs up. He uh, basically said, I'm going to I'm going to live or die by Donald Trump and I'm going to bet my race for speaker on being close to Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell, I wouldn't say he did the opposite. He didn't do he didn't pull a Liz Cheney, but he was he did not re-embrace Trump. Uh, he was very, very critical of Trump privately. Um, he would sort of let people understand that he was unhappy with Trump. Um, and yet they're both being challenged. Are the challenges coming from the same place? It feels like they're coming from the same place. I mean, the Freedom Caucus, which as we said, has been pretty darn Trumpy. The Trumpiest part of the, the Republican Party in the House <clears throat> is challenging McCarthy because they want him to be even Trumpier because they wanted to be what's the what's the ideological um, basis for their critique? I mean, I think that th this is where you get to the the procedural stuff. I mean, the these McConnell has been the punching bag of um, you know the the grassroots right, the which has was the Tea Party right became the MAGA right. Um, it's kind of the same sort of anti-establishment whether you want to consider that Trump himself is the establishment at this point is, is, is a fair debate to have, but um, you know, it's always been popular to beat up on Mitch McConnell. And that's part of why, you know, so many of senators like him as their leaders, because he takes all those arrows, he defend, you know, all the incoming on him. They don't have to answer as many hard questions. They don't have to, they're not attacked on Fox news. McConnell is able to win in a very red state of Kentucky. No problem. Um, and, and he's kind of like a, a shield for them in some way. Um, McCarthy, the same deal, like this happened seven years ago. He wanted to be speaker after Boehner stepped down. Um, he tried to elevate, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't make the promises that, uh, that the freedom caucus was asking about then. And they ultimately, you know, let him know you're not going to get the votes ended up going to Paul Ryan. They had to beg or Paul Ryan had to, you know, essentially uh, lay out his ground rules. Fine. I will do it because he didn't want to do it um, and, and took it. So I think, you know, in some ways, this is a, these are fights that predate Trump. Obviously that's being layered on top. Um, but that's why I think like they're both leadership. They both control how the party spends a lot of its money. They both control, uh, what legislation gets to the floor, they control committee assignments, they all these different things. That doesn't change whether or not Trump's involved in the picture or not. Um, and so I think that's part of why you're seeing this play out uh, in, in similar manners, despite the despite the ideological differences. And I think it's useful to separate out, particularly for the Freedom Caucus, the ideological axis from the procedural axis, because they have obviously shifted a lot in terms of the kind of uh, policies they they like to see implemented they've kind of just let trump drive the horse for them uh for all of that stuff they they tried to fight him very early on on a on like a runaway explosive uh, high deficit budget um yeah. say that again the healthcare uh fight was was one of the big ones yeah 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 there were there basically they were just trying to stick to their their very kind of hardcore uh free market small government the kind of stuff they they they'd, they'd 
made their bones on during Obama and Trump nuked them from orbit. And they very quickly were like, oh, okay, like he's more popular with our voters than we are. We got to get with the program on a lot of this stuff. But on the procedural side, a lot of their demands are, are, are similar in character to the ones they've had forever. And they're all just about making the speaker less powerful and giving rank and file members a lot more opportunities to cause a lot more trouble. Uh, and and uh, they want, I mean, one, one kind of particular wrinkle, they really want the, the new speaker to commit to like a, uh, an explicit version of the Hastert rule, the majority of the majority thing, which will be actually kind of important um, to see how that comes down uh, in an extremely cl close Congress. Um, so I, I think that like, while McCarthy has a lot of ability to, to be inured against kind of the ideological attacks, um, which is why you see people like Jim Jordan and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, minority of the Freedom Caucus saying they're gonna go along. Uh, he doesn't wanna give up some of those, like some of the concentrated power in the, in the speaker uh, that that are that have been new under under Pelosi, they they kind of want a reversion to some pre-Pelosi uh, procedures. They want to make it easier to kick out the speaker, right. uh, for one thing. Um, so I, I think I think you have to kind of uh, hold those two things in tension. That like even if uh, it were like Marjorie Taylor Greene up there uh, for speaker, if she were not willing to to come to the table and talk about some of these procedural things, I think even she would still be having some problems. Although who knows? I mean, we, we've seen with Kevin McCarthy that he's willing to do just about anything. To become speaker of the house i mean the 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 compromises he made and i think there's a, a reasonable debate and i i apologize in advance for going harsh here uh there's a reasonable debate to be had as to whether he has a soul but if he had a soul he sold it to to make a deal with with trump after january 6th and uh i shudder to think what he'll be willing to do to give up to to become speaker to win over the votes of those 31 republicans who voted against him today because they're going to be asking for a lot um and i think we'll some of it we'll hear about some of it will be reported probably a lot of it won't be a lot of it will be sort of handshake deals uh that will i think in effect give power to a lot of exactly the kind of people that i would not want more power to be given <laughs> um let's we've got a, a lot of questions i want to get to many of them we will spend some time on the the trump announcement but let me let me just take a couple of these questions early one question that, that we've gotten from several people is there any chance liz cheney can become speaker of the house in this um in this context so no it's not going to happen but the fact that it's a possibility, like a thing that people are banding about does get at, I, I feel like we have not fully communicated just how insane the Kevin McCarthy situation is, like how tenuous his path is. Because there's there's 30 Freedom Caucusers right now who don't want him as speaker. And he's going to end up with like a three seat majority in the House or something like that. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, we've been writing the, the, the term razor thin majority for for like two years now she's had all kinds of problems with her comparatively straight-laced and well-behaved caucus i mean just like fight after fight between the moderates and the progressives over there and what, what's her majority is like seven, seven seats right eight. now yeah. yeah uh so less than half probably of the wiggle room that nancy pelosi has had in the republican party with a much stronger anti-establishment uh streak 
And some of these people who just dine out on fighting whoever's in the chair, it's, I mean, it's the, the reason why the, the situation has been floated is because it would be completely plausible that if Democrats could peel off just a very small handful of Republican moderates to basically say, look, we're all going to coalesce behind this person who none of us love, but who is at least more palatable to us than Kevin McCarthy or no speaker. I mean, complete chaos that you would find you would get some kind of handshake. And uh, according to the Constitution, the Speaker of the House doesn't have to be a member of the House. Liz Cheney, as the person to be brought forward, is a little bit wish casting from the people. I mean, even 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 some of the more moderate House members who have actually explicitly said Don Bacon basically said, yeah, I mean, if we can't uh, if we can't get uh, Kevin McCarthy in there, I guess I'd be willing to to talk to the Democrats about some other moderate Republican, which is crazy that he would say that at this point. Um, but he went out of his way to say, but not Liz Cheney, come on. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but but I mean, it, it it's that close. It's that close that you could see if Republicans can't get their act together, some nonsensical uh, deal coming out of left field. Right. And just because McCarthy is the strong favorite and he's been pushing for it. You know, he, he was the obvious heir in 2015 too. And it just kind of crumbled and fell apart under his feet um, as it became clear that he did not have the votes. And well, he also, I mean, I, I, so I was part of the, the, the controversy in 2015 where he got himself into trouble. The, the precipitating event in 2015, he came in with sort of a tenuous lead and then he went on Fox news, special report. Right. And announced to the world that the Benghazi committee, special committee, select committee, had uh, effectively neutered Hillary Clinton, sort of had had done serious political damage to Hillary Clinton, when for the, the previous three years, the argument, I think, I think it was a genuine argument from people like Trey Gowdy, was that no, there was, this was an actual serious investigation, we need to look into some of the details of this, even if it also had the effect of doing political damage to Hillary Clinton. I don't think those two things were mutually exclusive at the time. But McCarthy just went on special report and said it. And at that moment, you you know, I mean, I, that's I such was, a quaint scandal, by the way, like that, in, that in ended, retrospect. I mean, nowadays, like that's exactly what that's what Trump did in Ukraine, like and yeah. the entire, you know, whatever. But but the concern from Republicans, I mean, I, I remember we I, he gave the interview on special report that night and then we talked about it on the panel. <laughs> and I remember walking off the set after the panel and my phone just blew up. I was getting text after text after text from all these these House Republicans who were saying, this is exactly why we can't have Kevin McCarthy as the face of the party, because he steps in it all the time. And, you know, he's worked hard, I think, since then to 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 reestablish himself as a potential leader. Let's buzz through some of these. We got great questions here. Uh, keep sending more if you if you have them. Um, lots of uh, really good questions could could and let's try to keep we'll try to keep our answers short i do want to get to some of the trump stuff could not mccarthy this is from barry graham could not mccarthy just dare the freedom caucus to vote for nancy pelosi kind of i i think that actually might have been the precipitating event for that don bacon quote that andrew referenced earlier is that you know on on the surface it sounds bad for mccarthy like oh yeah you know bacon saying i could work with the democrats that McCarthy is taking that, framing it, and sending it to every Freedom Caucus member um, 
office today being like, okay, if, if you don't play ball, look what the alternative is. It's not going to be Jim Jordan speaker. It's going to be not Liz Cheney, but you know, Brian Fitzpatrick or, uh, somebody who's far, 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 uh, more moderate than, than they're asking for. So that in that sense, it's kind of McCarthy saying my way or the highway. So question from Phil Harris. Um, also very similar question earlier, Amy Stapleton, if McCarthy isn't speaker, who is next most likely, what would happen? Like if we, let's say we, we we're in, it's early January and we're looking back on this conversation Kevin McCarthy is not the speaker of the house. One, who is, and two, what happened? It's all, I mean, any, anything that either of us say right now would be entirely speculation. There's nobody, nobody knows. Pure um, speculation. It, it, I think honestly that Jim Jordan might be the, the person that tr- they try the next. Um, he's done work over the, uh, over the past five or six years to not moderate himself, I would say, but make himself more palatable to a broader <laughs> swath of the Republican conference than he was when he was kind of, the early thorn in John Boehner's side uh, with, with Mark Meadows. And I think Trump has done a lot to mainstream him and Meadows within, within the party as kind of um, not too fringe out there uh, for, for people to get on board with. <clears throat> so I think he might be somebody that, that gets put forth um, like the other people in leadership. Scalise uh, has been yeah. pretty quiet through this entire thing. Um, he was elected unanimously by voice vote today to uh, the majority leader position, so second in command behind McCarthy. Um, there's no reason why he couldn't just slide up a, a slot. Um, but Andrew, any other ideas? I just think the thing to understand about it is that, like, if you get to that point, the chaos factor ramps up so much yes. because, like, you just you just vote until somebody gets the majority, right? I mean, like, it's yeah. it's 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 completely emergent. That's how you it's get Speaker Trump. Based- yeah, it's completely based on like what what they can like slap together with duct tape like in real time. <laughs> if it if yeah. you know if you if you do a, a few votes and the and the Freedom Caucus is like no, we really mean it. We're really not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Right. And and then everybody has to be like, okay, well, how, and this is know. this is all such a symbolic fight too because it's not like the Republican House is going to be doing tons of legislating with yes. the Biden White House. When I mean, it's like you're going to over you'll decide what committees people get on for who gets to do the investigations and you know you'll stand behind Biden on the during the state of the union and these other things but for the most part like it you're just waiting out the clock until 2024 so so I would, I would jump in nice. I would jump in and say Steve Scalise I think you're right it, it would be first there would be this period of total chaos right I mean there would there there would be I think intense fighting between the relatively few moderates who are willing to fight and the House Freedom Caucus, because they each would have tremendous leverage in a in a uh, a house that's divided by by with such a slim majority, um, I, I would say Steve Scalise would be my bet. He, he and McCarthy have, for all public um, purposes, appeared to be a team for the past several years they've been united on the trump question they've been united on on running republicans um they've had the top two positions 
there is i would say that relationship is not nearly as strong in private as it appears in public there i think steve scalise has deep skepticism of kevin mccarthy as a leader and as a conservative um i think kevin mccarthy isn't much of a conservative it's easy I talked to a member of Congress the other day who, who told me they would could just have easily seen Kevin McCarthy come out a Democrat because he just cares about the power part of politics it's not really about the ideas for Kevin McCarthy um and Scalise does care Scalise is more um ideologically driven uh than Kevin McCarthy is so I I could see and and I it would not surprise me to learn that Scalise is you know sitting quietly under Kevin McCarthy looking for a moment um that seems entirely possible to me too there's a great question I hope he's still watching I'm not sure how, if I pronounce his last name correctly Marshall Gile or Guile G-I-L-E question for the dispatch why should I care about this inside baseball these inside baseball squabbles within the Republican Party why should he care because he's watching dispatch live and is a no, um, <laughs> and you're talking about it <laughs> yeah um no i mean it's to to an extent i agree um that the average uh to the average voter american what have you there's not it's not going to look a whole lot different in in your day-to-day -day life uh depending on you know who is standing behind biden on the 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 state of the union um but it it, it matters a lot because this fight is not it's a proxy fight right this is you know yes there you know we talked about the procedural aspects of this and and how the house is run and i think the freedom caucus people have some legitimate points on that in terms of you know how power is consolidated in the speaker's office you get these 3000 page omnibus bills dumped on you at 4 p.m and you're voting on it at 10 p.m um you know <laughs> poor staffers just racing through skimming uh obviously missing stuff um you know that is kind of a a, a crummy system that that we've been operating under for you know years at this point but this fight is also about it's about um uh, you know yes ideology versus power it's about the trump question it's about um the, there there was a a secondary race today between uh for republican whip uh between drew ferguson tom emmer and jim banks and that i think more so than the mccarthy biggs was almost entirely a a proxy vote on the trump question jim banks has tied himself very 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 closely to trump was one of just a handful of uh members of the house to come out endorse trump 2024 last week before this announcement um and after the midterm kind of uh collapse that race you know emmer was a, is a little bit more ideologically moderate than banks um but for the most part that was kind of seen as a which direction do we want to go um and so and emmer prevailed he did yes yeah, yeah banks lost the the, yeah. the trumpy it was it took it took the, two the or three rounds of voting trumpy candidate yes um, he's been so, he's been positioning himself for this for a long time for the last couple of years there was this proxy fight before this fight where Tucker Carlson went after Tom Emmer made some threatening phone calls because Tucker Carlson's son Buckley works for Jim Banks um big sort of scuttlebutt around there and Banks lost 
I do think that that you're right to to point that out. It's interesting if if it was uh, a, a a proxy vote on Trump, uh, Trump lost, um, which is which is interesting. Um, let me, jump, let me think... jump into another couple of questions real quickly, um, so we can uh, get through this. Uh, this is a great question from Ed Kless. Does the fact that Democrats will keep the Senate regardless make it more or less likely that Herschel Walker gets elected in the Georgia runoff? I ask you, Andreger. I honestly don't know. Um, I would have. I, th- I uh, Senate's such a long seat, you know, like like it's this isn't the only election this matters for. It's not like a House election where the next time he'll be in, like the next time the thing change hand, changes hands, uh, he'll need to get reelected anyway. It could matter for majorities later. Um, and I just think that that so many voters see it as uh, so many of his base voters see it as such kind of an existential fight. They're not really thinking about it in terms of those like specific like procedural. Oh, well, it actually won't make an, any particular difference for these bills. They get passed. You mean you know, Walker, Walker's base voters? Yes. But um, aren't the aren't the most important voters? I mean, they could be Walker's base voters. But I would argue that in, in many respects, what we're likely to see in Georgia that will be that the most important voters are the independents and the moderates who Walker is likely to lose the less people are amped up. Right. Or and I think that the race because it's not people, about control of the Senate. I think that those people are a real vulnerability for Walker less for this reason than for the reason that now Walker is no longer on the same ballot as Brian Kemp, who was right. uh, much more popular and won his race very handily. Um, I the thing that I am interested to find out is that. No, no idea which way this race is going to go is that Kemp has attached his entire political operation to the Walker campaign in a way that he never really did before. Um, they they ran kind of hermetically sealed campaigns um, uh, previously. But that was in part, that. wouldn't you say that was in part because Trump had been so close to Herschel Walker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Kemp and Trump were, were at odds. Yeah, I do think yeah. one of the During more the interesting questions... Yes. Yeah, one of the more interesting questions will be, what does Trump do uh, if he announces tonight? Does he does he force himself into doing an event for Herschel Walker? I talked to a senator over the weekend who's closely working with with the Walker campaign, trying to get Herschel Walker elected, raising money. Um, who said that virtually nobody around Herschel Walker and nobody who wants Herschel Walker to win in the Republican um, Senate establishment wants Trump to come to Georgia to do an event. Uh, if he doesn't event in Atlanta or in the Atlanta suburbs, this person thinks that could be fatal for Herschel Walker's campaign uh, because he's so unpopular there and because he's gone after Brian Kemp aggressively and Kemp is mm-hmm. a, a popular Republican in the state. Brad Raffensperger, if I'm not mistaken, the Secretary of State who defied Trump and took that call where Trump tried to steal the election, um, if I'm not mistaken, did he get the the highest percentage or the, the greatest number of votes in this past midterm? Um, I'm not sure it ended up that way, but at one point it looked like that was true. So I guess my own view would be I think Walker is a lot less likely to prevail mm-hmm. because uh, the Senate is not uh, is not at, at stake. To wrap it back around to the first thing we asked about, sorry if this is too far afield, but I just think it's it's fun because the, the, this fight we talked about between Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott 
is now like they've been they've been sparring on Senate strategy for the whole midterms because Rick Scott is obviously in charge of of sort of supervising a lot of the Republican candidates campaigns. And Mitch McConnell has his big uh, pack, the Senate Leadership Fund, giving a lot of money into the, all these races. They have now been squabbling very publicly, those two groups, the NRSC and the SLF specifically over who's doing more to help walker in the midterm <laughs> they're like just tweet tweeting at each other like calling each other names for like not being as helpful to herschel walker and it's i mean it's, it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen and it's it's gone very under the radar because it's so inside baseball um but just i mean not the kind of behavior you usually see so uh, a lot of republican support uh for herschel walker but it is uncomfortable when mom and dad are fighting i think um we just got a note from uh Um, interesting comment from a, a Georgia voter, Joe Pettit says he hasn't intentionally missed an election at any level for all of my time in Georgia, <laughs> but I don't think I'll turn out for the runoff. I suspect that's my talking to I, a lot of to be, yeah. because Warnock, I, I think Warnock was technically up a smidge um, before before the runoff was called. Uh, Walker needs a lot of people who either didn't turn out or turned out and left Senate blank and voted for Kemp to come home in the in the runoff. And they don't really have a reason to do that now. Um, I guess, it, you know, the the argument that I don't know if they've been making it, but they should be making it is Joe Manchin blocked a lot of stuff um, the past two years. If Warnock wins, he can no longer block things by himself. Uh, right. And so that's why you need Herschel Walker. Um, but that's more of a bank shot argument than it. And it, even when, even when in Georgia, it did come down to uh, the, those races and like, we will have control of the Senate if we win these races, people didn't. Turn so, out, so. Um, let's, let's take two little uh, details here and, and turn to this Trump announcement. We got a, uh, a comment from another Georgia voter. It looks like Theron Scott. I'm a Georgia voter too. And if Trump announces, I'm going to vote for Warnock just to try to put another nail in his coffin, his being Trump. Um, Brian Brown, our community manager, dispatch live producer, um, good guy extraordinaire, has posted a an FEC filing that it looks like Donald Trump has officially filed to run for re-election. Um, what, what do you expect from this speech tonight, number one. And number two, is Donald Trump at his weakest politically since he won the Iowa caucuses in January of 2016? Actually, it might have been early February of 2016. Second question first. I think the answer is yes. Um, and the reason being, I the answer should be no. I think he should have been at his lowest moment on January 7th, uh, 2021 or January 6th at 8 p.m., what have you. But he wasn't and he quickly bounced back. And I think the main difference, I was having this conversation with a, a couple of sources recently, the difference between then and now is that there is an obvious heir apparent that did not exist in January 2021. And the fact that, you know, if if you disagreed with or if you went against Trump, you betrayed Trump in January 26th or January 6th, you were siding with Democrats in the media. 
now you can betray Donald Trump and you're siding with Ron DeSantis. Um, and that is a very different ask of voters. It's something that people, it's a more, it's an easier logical jump to make. Um, and I, and I think that you're starting to see that being made. That being said, um, you know, I think a lot of the polling that we've seen in, in the past couple of days that show 50 point swing in favor of Ron DeSantis over Trump among primary voters. I think that's a little bit wish casting. Um, you know, the, some of the groups that are putting that out have a vested interest in that being the reality. And, and, and so I wouldn't, I want to see from actual, uh, voters that, that this is actually happening on the ground. It's not an elite conversation being projected down, but I do think there's a reason why Trump has been so unhinged the past week. Um, and it's because he senses this too. He senses it's different this time around. Um, I think tonight you're going to see a lot of, um, blame shifting for last week's midterms. Um, you know, he's tried to claim that they did well. The party did well. It's a laughable claim. People aren't going to buy that. Um, so he needs to shift it to McConnell. He'll probably amp up Rick Scott in his fight with McConnell. That's become kind of the, the proxy war there. Um, and then I think you'll see him go after, I mean, he previewed some of his very strange attacks on Ron DeSantis earlier this week, late last week. Um, the fact that Florida is sunny. So that's why he did so well during COVID because, uh, you know, people could go outside there. Anybody could have been an average governor of Florida because it's so sunny. Um, some of these weird, uh, conversations that he claims to have had about the 2018 election when DeSantis was, was first put in office. So I think we'll see a lot of gripes. He's not going to be staying on message. He's not going to be, that's the biggest difference between Trump 2024 and Trump 2016, even Trump 2020 is that this is almost entirely driven by personal grievance and vengeance. And it's not you agree or disagree. He had issues in 2016 that resonated with a lot of voters trade, um, you know, immigration, the drain, the, the drain, the swamp, immigration, drain, the swamp stuff that was Not legit. And, and yes. So that he doesn't have that this time around. It's going to be, if you, unfortunately I follow him on truth social just for my job. I demanding a public raise right now because of that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's everything that he talks about is 2020 election here's a list of all the people who've wronged me. Here's how I'm going to get back at them. Here's a bunch of weird QAnon adjacent memes um, that he's been like, he's been out of public sight for a while. People don't fully realize just how unhinged he's gotten over the past year or so. Um, and they're going to be reminded of that very quickly. Uh, he doesn't have the same spark, I think now. Has he yet tried out Ron DeSanctimonious as a lion live? I can't remember. Like I thought yes. I maybe saw. Okay. And I guess it went over fine. I just, it, it's obviously it's a terrible crowd. It's I terrible. It's I, it's risky to go with that in front of a live studio audience of Republicans. The one you, you mentioned the polling uh, Declan, and I totally agree. Like, obviously there's a lot of elite political will to get DeSantis out there and you're gonna have to watch out for attempts to manufacture a consensus about that. Um, AstroTurf, basically. The one poll that I thought was particularly interesting was the one that the Texas Republican Party commissioned um, that had DeSantis up 43-32 over Trump, not because I know necessarily that that was a super well-run poll or anything like that, but just because the Texas Republican Party then released that right. poll right. Uh, showing that 
DeSantis mm-hmm. is up over Trump. I mean, like the the state and national parties have been bending. I mean, that was the, the big story of, of the, really the only story of the 2020 Republican presidential primary, because there really wasn't any other thing that happened in that entire thing other than the party. Real Bill Weld stands. Well, yeah, not, not, that, not that there was ever going to be anybody who knocked him off then, but they made very, very sure that there was was not even the chance of that. And uh, and I don't know, maybe we're not going to see that level of uh, support for him institutionally within the Republican Party next time around. The um, Andrew, what do you expect uh, Trump to say tonight? <sighs> I what are the policy issues he's likely to focus on? <laughs> um. Gosh, I, it's been so single issue. He, he, it's like he's lost the ability to talk about anything other than the stolen election, election integrity. I mean, like it was, it's never been a winning issue for him. His candidates did not win on it this time around, but he did it. You read his posts and it's like, it, that doesn't compute for him. Like he thinks they lost because they didn't hit that hard enough or something like that. It's, it's very, I mean, it, this is just long lines of what you were saying, Declan, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's weird to see. I mean, like, like he, we've known for months and months that that he was zoning in like the thing that was the most important to him was the thing that was of least valence to his base um they still care about immigration and you know wokeness and all these sorts of things and and uh are totally ready to have him be the guy for him on all those things again but it's like he just can't like turn the wheel past the or t- t- turn the dial on this thing that like but if I lost in 2020, I'm a loser. Like they don't care. Like they, his base does not think that he is a loser. Like because he lost in 2020, they don't. They they think he's great. They think he did all these other things for him and all these other things. But he continues to lead with that message and really just go with that message like first and last. And it's just strange. I don't know. Um, I I have no idea what else he'll talk about, but I know that will be a big part of it. Exit question: um, Is Donald Trump the Republican nominee? Declan. No, no, but that's yeah. that's also astroturfy wish casting. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. But. I'm going to say no, not for wish casting astroturfy reasons, but for reasons of pure political analysis. I mean, if I gave you each a hundred dollars, sent you to Vegas, and you could put that hundred dollars on Donald Trump as the Republican nominee or the field. The field. You the field. Put it on the field. Yeah. Uh, put it on the field. Why it's not? important to stop for a moment and recognize what a massive shift just that is. Right. Where right. are you putting I, your I money? You? Uh, my money. I have had a bet with Sarah for more than a year that uh, it's a steak dinner bet that Donald Trump would not be the Republican nominee in 2024. I also don't think Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee in 2024. Is it too I complicated to ask total chaos. which of those two has a higher chance? Is that like too many layers of abstraction deep to be a useful question? I mean, no, I guess I would probably say Biden, if only because of these results. I mean, I don't think that what we saw last week was an affirmation of Biden's policy choices or his presidency. I think it was largely a rejection of Republicans and their fringe, but certainly the Biden team is choosing to read it the other way as, as one probably would, if you were working in the white house and um, it could be enough to get him to do it. You know, there's been a lot of talk among senior Democrats that Biden was not going to run again. he, He couldn't afford to ever say that of course, but I will still be surprised if he, if he runs again. 
there's there's reporting in Politico tonight. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, this is the Biden team uh, putting this out there, but that they've started to assemble campaign stuff. They're getting close to formally launching the um, you know, they, they want this out there to keep kind of the hawks or the the vultures from circling around overhead. Um, I, I will say, though, I will not even if I don't think Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024, I will not put money on the Republican nominee generally winning that race because if Trump is not the nominee, he is going to do everything in his power to make sure whoever beat him pays the price for doing that. Uh, and I don't think that ends well for the GOP. So my question is, will he ever stop running other than death? Like, does he, does he at any point, uh, like what's the point at which he's like, okay, I understand the voters don't want me anymore. I mean, I don't think he ever comes to that realization because he can tell himself a story forever and probably will. Okay, it's 9.02. We went two minutes beyond. Thanks for sticking with us this hour. I think this was a fun and interesting discussion. I hope you also found it interesting as well. Um, are you both going to go watch the speech? I am going to watch the speech. I don't, I, I, I don't always watch Trump's speeches. I'm going to watch this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm writing about it for tomorrow, so I should probably watch it would be I mean, I definitely I'd love to be able to write about it, it without actually watching. No, but I don't think that's fair to that. you guys, dear dispatch members. So I filed my uh, story on the yeah. Senate. I think I'm I think I'm punching out. Let me know how it goes. You can read about it in the morning. Dispatch. Hey, uh, we got it. We got a question from Phil real quick. Just asking about Andrew and my hats. Andrew, do you want to explain your hat? first and then i can explain my hat well uh i got my hat at harper's ferry that's why it says harper's ferry park association on it but i, w- I was also curious about your hat this is from a company called obvious shirts in chicago um it is a clock showing 120 because wrigley uh cubs games are the only team in baseball to play friday afternoon day games at 120 and that's the color of the scoreboard at wrigley field so anywho just didn't want to leave you hanging. Phil. I knew there was some oh. Chicago sports thing. Anytime Declan can worm in a Chicago sports reference, he will do it. I will. Yeah. Um, I was interested in the answer to that question. Uh, and I thought it was a good question from Phil. But now that I know the answer, I, <laughs> I stand by my decision not to ask it. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you here uh, next week. Take care. Hmm.